looking at um, Genesis um, chapter 39. And um, I've called this Joseph, a man of destiny. And um, I believe he was a man of destiny in as much as he played a very important role in the fulfillment of the prophecies that were made to his great-grandfather, Abraham. You remember that God spoke to Abraham and promised him that he would be the father of a great nation and through that nation all the peoples of the earth will be blessed and that his offspring would be as numerous uh, as the stars in the sky. And um, I believe that Joseph was a man of destiny because he was key to developing or the development and growth of the Hebrew people. Uh, through his rise to fame in Egypt, uh, his family escaped um, famine and uh, were able to settle in the land of Goshen, which was a very fertile part of Egypt. And um, through his, um, say, through that, his rise of fame, and over a period of, of around 400 years, this people numbered about two and a half million, so is estimated. Absolutely huge. And Joseph was key in that process. But um, by the time that this occurred, that this number had risen, um, uh, another king had uh, risen in uh, Egypt who didn't know Joseph and the people became slaves and they were under great oppression, suffering greatly. And it took another one of God's great um, champions, Moses, to lead the people out of Egypt and onto the promised land. So we're thinking about Joseph and um, you've had two weeks of Joseph already. I managed to listen to the sermons and, and catch up. Um, God's preparation of Joseph started when he was a teenager, just 17. And you know very well that he had two dreams, both of which foretold that he would rule over his family. In his naivety, he told his brothers and his father the contents of the dreams and understandably got a bad reaction. Uh, they thought it impertinent that he, a mere youth, should consider it appropriate even to mention such preposterous ideas and his brothers hated him for it, really hated him for it. Um, it's interesting that um, his brothers and his father must have thought that Joseph's dreams were going to be against them. In some way, they represented oppressive lording over them by this immature, cocky youth. When in actual fact, his ruling over them uh, was life and salvation to them, ultimately. Uh, and um, you know, maybe he should have kept his dreams to himself, just between him and God. And sometimes if we get dreams and, and visions and prophecies even that involve us and other people, um, we need some wisdom as to how to handle that. Um, it isn't always right to blurt it out, particularly if uh, the people are there who are actually involved in the dream. But anyway, um, by the sovereignty of God, his brother's hatred of him was used to get Joseph right where God wanted him to be, and that was a ruler in Egypt. And we pick up the story where Joseph has been brought to Egypt by the Ishmaelites and sold uh, into slavery uh, uh, and became the slave of uh, an officer of Pharaoh called Potiphar. We'll just read the first 20 verses. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, 
an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, in, uh, the, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. As soon as she saw that he'd left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the, her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew uh, to, to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard uh, the words his wife spoke to him, this is the way your, your servant treated me, his anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. Father God, we ask you to help us to find the relevance of this story for us, uh, your people. Lord, we trust you that by your Holy Spirit you will help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we read about Joseph was that um, the Lord was with him. That was good, wasn't it? And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that everything Joseph did succeeded. Uh, clearly, Joseph was a very uh, gifted young man. Um, he was able to manage the affairs uh, of his master's house, presumably without any training. 
but it's, it's not so much his gifting and his ability that singles him out, but that his character makes him God's man for the moment. He needed godly character if he was going to successfully face all the trials that were ahead of him that he knew nothing about at this point. Um, he was God's man in a pagan land. Uh, let's consider what um, may have shaped his character, the, the little that we know about him. In fact, his boyhood could have had a bad effect on his character. Being his father's favourite son could have had a detrimental effect on the development of his uh, and formation of his character. Uh, it could have been easy, could easily have made him conceited and boastful, arrogant. And in fact, it seemed that he'd been shielded from the pressures of life. Um, he was not out with the sheep um, when his brothers were sent off uh, to pasture the, the flocks. And uh, his father, um, and you know, he could have, um, sorry, excuse me, that, it could have left him totally unprepared uh, for the hardships he was to face when his father was not there to help him. Um, such people, uh, people that are spoilt, if you like, are, can be first to kick and scream um, when things don't go their way. Let's face it, he could have been a spoilt brat. But we find the opposite. Although making him his father's favourite uh, is perhaps not the best thing his father could do for him, we can assume that Jacob spent more time with Joseph than perhaps his other brothers and that he was able to tell him uh, about the promises that had been made to his family and to talk to him about God and teach him the fear of the Lord and that he was part of a people of destiny. So Joseph would have had knowledge of God and his ways. Uh, but knowledge is not the same as character, is it? We can know a lot, but it doesn't mean that that forms our character. Character has to do with how we handle the knowledge that we have. And for Joseph, it gave him faith in the promises of God and in his divine providence that would see him through the ups and downs of life. We get a clue to this uh, from Joseph's attitude and reaction uh, to the adverse circumstances in which he found himself. Uh, we can imagine, can't we, he's gone from a free man in, a, in probably just a few days and found himself a slave. Um, at this point in his life he had every reason to be bitter. Bitter towards his brothers for selling him into slavery. Bitter with the Ishmaelites for receiving him and accepting him as a slave. Bitter, bitter towards his Egyptian master uh, for buying him in the slave market as a piece of common property. Uh, bitter above all towards the Lord who had given him dreams of greatness and now the nightmare of slavery. Yet we read that Joseph set aside his bitterness and worked hard for the Lord in the new place where he had led him. He lived a godly life in the midst of pagans and trusted that in time the Lord would vindicate him. The Lord would give him a voice. Uh, he knew that in this place he was God's ambassador and God's representative. And what comes shining through here is that Joseph had a healthy fear of God and trusted in God's providence whatever the circumstances. And if we are going to be effective in reaching our generation for God, then we must start by knowing who we are. It seems that 
Joseph knew who he was. He knew he was a man of destiny. He knew about his family and all that had been promised there. And so it's important as Christians that first of all we know who we are before we learn what to say and what to do. And uh, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he told his disciples that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they would be his witnesses. Not that they would do witnessing or that they would do evangelism, but in their very being, they would be uh, witnesses. And if we are living in the light of our relationship with God, then our presence in society, just our very presence in society, should make a difference. It should be a force for good. And we know that Jesus used the two metaphors of salt and light to illustrate this fact. That He said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt gives things flavour. It stops the rot. It preserves. And light brings the truth uh, of God into a situation. So they are those metaphors. And very often we will not be aware of the influence that we have. I'll just tell you a little story and it involves me. And I must say at the beginning that I can claim no credit for the outcome of this story at all. But um, part of during my time as, in, the, as a, in the post office, in my career in the post office, um, I um, was in charge of an apprentice training school and we had lecturers and demonstrators and the lecturers were on the same floor as me, the same floor as my office and I used to go into their office at tea time and we'd just have a general chat and maybe talk about the work and so on and after a while I said to the, these guys there, I said you know what, I've been here two months maybe um, you know, and I've not heard anybody swear and I've not heard any dirty jokes and he said it's only been like that since you've been here. And you know, I can't claim any credit for that. I mean, I think it may have been a reputation that went before me. They, you know, somebody was on the phone saying, this guy's coming, you know, and he's very religious or something. I don't know. But, but it's interesting, isn't it? I'd, I'd said nothing. I'd you know, not preached to them or, or otherwise. And uh, so it's interesting. It, we may not be aware of the influence that we have. Maybe our circumstances are, are not of our choosing or we feel we're being treated unfairly. Perhaps we're in a job that's not at all fulfilling and it feels a bit like slave labour. The question is, is it possible to be God's representative in such circumstances and really make a difference? Very often we'll think, if only I was in a different situation, then I could be more effective for God. And I think the answer is, and the Bible tells us that yes, we can still be God's representative when things are not as we want them to be. You know, there were many slaves in the church uh, in New Testament times and their life would have been very restricted. And they may have thought, well, how, what, what can I do uh, to further the kingdom of God? Uh, but we find here what Paul says to them. Um, he's talking to Titus. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. In other words, the way they live towards their masters, maybe towards uh, their fellow slaves, would make the gospel attractive. It would make people um, uh, take up and uh, sit up and listen 
perhaps to the gospel. So right from the outset, Potiphar recognised something different about Joseph. Uh, and although he was there as a slave, he found him to be utterly trustworthy to the point um, that he put him in charge of his whole household. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord was with Joseph and that the blessing that was on Joseph overflowed into Potiphar's household to, over to everything that belonged to Potiphar. This blessing, it says, was for Joseph's sake. I wonder what that means. The blessing was for Joseph's sake. I think this says to me that Joseph was in the place that God wanted him to be, that he was right on track, and that his attitude, by his attitude, he was in the centre of God's will for him. And from this I think we can say that um, God's will has more to do with our attitude to our circumstances than the circumstances themselves. Um, I think sometimes we can get a bit, in, a bit of a tiz if we've got to make some decisions in life. If I, if I make this decision, um, will I move out of God's will? Or if I take this job, will, will that be God's will for me? And I think those things are important and God is concerned about those things. But I think he's more concerned about our attitude in whatever circumstances we find us, find ourselves. I don't know, I sometimes watch football and uh, so many um, footballers cross themselves now, don't they, and look up and kneel down and so on. And I'm thinking, I don't think God's at all concerned who wins this game. Uh, he's only concerned how you play it and whether, and whether you play fairly. So, um, God's more concerned about our attitude to the circumstances. Um, if we're in adverse circumstances, and it may be right to try and change those sometimes, we don't have to live in those sort of circumstances perhaps, but if we can't change them, we can still be God's man and woman and make a difference. Firstly though, we need to um, accept that this is where God has placed us for the time being. Find a level of godly contentment and not be resentful against God or others. Um, Paul put it like this in his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, For I have learned to be content uh, whatever the circumstances. That's hard, isn't it, sometimes? To be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's a phrase that we use in many situations, but to actually look at the context, it's about being contented uh, and finding contentment in circumstances. And then, in, in another word, uh, he tells us um, what we're to do in those circumstances. Okay, we're content in those circumstances, but how should we react in those circumstances to all the things that, that come our way? And he says to the church at uh, Thessalonica, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. A bit hard that sometimes, isn't it? He doesn't say pray and give thanks for the circumstances, but there are always things to give thanks for in the circumstances. And he makes it very clear, he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's the will of God for me in this situation? What's the will of God for me here? Should I be doing that? Well, here's what we should do. We should rejoice always, pray continually, 
and give thanks in all those circumstances. You've probably read stories of, of Christians who have been in prison for their faith, persecuted for their faith around the world, China uh, and North Korea and other places. And these Christians have found themselves in appalling situations sometimes, very insanitary circumstances. Yet by their attitude and by their service to their fellow Christians, uh, they've brought light and salvation into those prisons. And they've even um, made it that they would stay in that prison longer than necessary in order that they could continue continually to share the gospel um, with, with other inmates. Joseph knew who he was. That's very important. I keep making that point. He knew who he was and he had God's approval. And even under severe sexual temptation, he did not waver in his resolve not to sin. He did all that he could uh, to free himself from the wife's advances. He did everything he could there. We're not told whether he was actually tempted by her. We make the assumption, maybe he didn't find her very attractive, I don't know, but, <laughs> but he may not have been. But the, I guess the assumption is that probably he was. And if he was, then his resistance to that was added to his determination not to sin against his master and break his trust and more importantly not to sin against God and he told her so that's the reason he gave uh, for not lying with her you know how can I do this against God I can't do this against God and this was because he was living his life in the light of God's assessment of him not other people's and that's so important isn't it we're under pressure from people very often to conform uh, to do it their way uh, to, to go along with the ways of the world uh, and yet Joseph was determined to live in the light of God's assessment of him and it, it behoves us to do the same we're living in a day where particularly in the area of human sexuality that good is called bad and bad is called good um, you may have seen this on the television but there's even a website uh, which was recently in the news, which helps married people have an affair. You know that? Married people have an affair, uh, an affair as if no harm is done. And strangely, they didn't use the word adultery. I don't know why, but they didn't use the word adultery. And uh, in these days, we are bombarded with ideas and images uh, that are ungodly and challenge us to live our lives in the light of God's uh, great uh, truth uh, and uh, the, the challenges are really great upon us um, we will meet those challenges best if we are convinced of who we are you know when we when we are faced with challenges we need to remind ourselves who we are um, there was um, someone else in the Bible who faced strong te sexual temptation and at that moment he forgot who he was if you know Psalm 51, you'll know that it is what King David wrote after his adultery with Bathsheba had been exposed by the prophet Nathan. Now David was Israel's champion and even God considered him to be a man after his own heart. And even Jesus is called the son of David. Uh, and yet David forgot who he was. Um, he 
con he allowed sexual temptation to blind him to the fact that he was living his life um, before God from whom no secret is hidden. He had sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah her husband. You remember just to try and cover up his sin he had uh, him killed, uh, put, put in the, the heat of the battle so he would die. But in the end eventually he saw that his greater sin was against God and he writes in the psalm have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out, blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So we get a contrast here, don't we, from Joseph's reaction. And I, I would suggest it's because he knew who he was, uh, that he was God's man in that moment, God's representative, and that he resisted temptation. Uh, and David, um, even though... Um, uh, had many promises over his life and God's chosen instrument for, um, uh, for Israel. Nevertheless, he forgot who he was in that moment uh, and, and gave in. Phil Moore, in his um, commentary on this passage about Joseph, he makes an interesting point. He says, referring uh, to two of Joseph's brothers, he says, while Judah was sleeping with a wayside prostitute and Reuben was sleeping with his own father's concubine, Joseph turned down the best offer of them all, a rich noblewoman. He did not toy with the flattery of temptation, but refused to be in the same room as her, which provoked her wounded pride to plot his downfall in revenge. So... This is why I've called Joseph a man of destiny. He was marked out by God as his ambassador in a pagan environment. Uh, he fulfilled his destiny not so much by his abilities. I've already referred to this, although we'll see that later um, his abilities were considerable. He was a great administrator uh, in Egypt, but he fulfilled his destiny by knowing who he was in God and allowing that to shape his character and determine his actions. Just as we um, look towards the close, um, I want to say that we are a people of destiny. Okay? And we can apply these lessons to ourselves. We've been chosen and we've been called to be part of God's family right now through faith in Jesus. And one day we will be the bride of Christ. We have a fantastic destiny. One day we will be the eternal companion of Jesus. We have an inheritance, so Peter tells us, uh, that will never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. Knowing who we are and who we belong to should help us shine in the difficult and dark places or indeed anywhere that God has placed us. And in fact, you know, we are a continuation of the story that began with Abraham. Beginning of that story with Abraham that included Joseph and included the Lord Jesus. And so those promises that were made to Abraham 
are being fulfilled through all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. That God intends to bless the world through us. That we are to be a light to the nations. And Peter put it like this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That we are a chosen people. Uh, Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians that uh, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Notice that Peter here does not say that these things are something to aspire to that we need to try to be a chosen people or try to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. These are what we are. You know, this is what God has made us to be. And um, you know, that we, out of this should come our confidence that we can declare the praises of God to a lost world, that we can make much of him and his salvation. It is who we are. And what we should aspire to is to live out the truth of who we are uh, in every situation, in all the situations that we find ourselves. Um, like Joseph, especially when things are difficult and maybe we're not in the place that we would like to be. I would suggest that we don't join in with the moaning and groaning that we find around us. Um, that we don't consider ourselves as victims as so many people do, that we refuse to let the world shape our morals. Uh, as we fellowship with our Heavenly Father, we can live in the, the wonderful light, in His wonderful light, even when um, all around us is darkness, because we've been called out of the darkness into His light, and we've been liberated from the darkness. Peter continues, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. John Wesley, the famous 18th century um, preacher and founder of Methodism, was once asked by his um, converts um, what advice he could give them um, how could they convince um, their nation that the gospel was true? And somewhat surprising maybe, he replied, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in as many places as you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Um, we have an up-to-date example, really, of, of that as, as street pastors. Many people here are street pastors, and uh, we've been doing that now for just over a year. And um, it, it's not the way of street pastors to go out preaching on the streets, uh, much as we would like to, but we do have liberty to, to share if people ask us why we're doing it. Why are you doing this? And we can tell them that we've experienced the love of God and that we want to show God's love to our town. And um, 
Uh, often people uh, ask us dif different questions but, and we tell them that we're here to c try and keep you safe, to make sure that uh, you get home safely if they're young people and so on. So we're, we're, we're trying to be as much help and show as much love uh, uh, as we can. And sometimes we may get back after an evening and think, well, yes, we've spoken to a few people and we've engaged with a few young people, but don't know that we've done an awful lot. And yet the police will say that the crime rate, the crime level goes down when street pastors are on the street. Their antisocial behaviour is a lot less. Uh, and so it's the being as much as the doing. And this is the thing I wanted to make today. Joseph, um, he was doing everything right, but just need to make one more point, that um, he was living in the light of his accountability to God, but it, it did not result in immediate improvement in his circumstances, did it? Just because he was doing it right. In fact, it made them far worse for a time. And the same may happen to us. We can't assume that if we're in the centre of God's will uh, and, and living in the light of his love and, uh, and all that he's made us to be, that life is necessarily going to be without its problems. And in fact, Jesus made it clear that following him, being truly his disciple, could result in hostility from the world. And just as God changed Joseph's dark, disastrous circumstances into blessing, so God will use our circumstances that may seem hard and unfair at this time to produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. You know, God will use circumstances to fashion us and make us uh, more like Jesus. And it often takes difficult circumstances to do that. But that will only take place providing we don't allow bitterness and resentment to spoil and what God spoil what God wants to do. Joseph didn't allow that. Uh, he, was, he allowed himself to be God's man because he did not have resentment towards his brothers and others at, at, who were responsible for putting him where he was. Let's just finish with a, some words from Paul to the Galatians. He said, let us uh, not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. There is the promise. At a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Joseph knew who he was and it enabled him to fulfill God's purpose for him and the destiny that God had for him. And we need to know who we are. It's so important that we know. If we go on the streets in whatever capacity, um, if we engage in evangelism or whatever, um, then we really need to know who we are, who we belong to, and who we represent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your witnesses. Lord, in every and any situation that we find ourselves. Lord, thank you that you've entrusted us with this responsibility to make you known by the way we live. Yes, by the way we speak, but Lord, we are witnesses, whatever we do and whatever we say. And Lord, we ask you, please, to, uh, to help us, uh, Lord, to recognise and always acknowledge who we belong to 
in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And we thank you, Father, that you've promised to go with us in those circumstances and, Lord, to transform our world by the very presence of your people in it. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to sing a song that some of you um, will remember and, and say it might be new to some. In every circumstance of life, you are with me, glorious Father. Let's stand. Want to collect their children? That would be lovely. Thank you very much. And if you don't, uh, be a fiver. <laughs> 